0: Warning, this podcast contains mature themes from very immature people. Like, oops, Lauren likes to spend money on on their friends. Oh my god. Um,
1: I've just been told that that's my love language, too. I'm like, not going out on a limb to spend quality time with anybody. I'm not cuddling with anybody. I'm not buying presents. Mm -hmm. But if we go out to dinner, I will wrestle the
0: check out of your hand. Same, same. Oh my god. I mean, who pays for the date? It's such, a, it's such an archaic dating uh, question, right?
1: hmm
0: Very archaic. <laughs> Very archaic. <laughs> uh, tied up in, in the patriarchy. Surely we're past most of that by now, right?
1: Well, I almost think it's more of a question now. Because when we really? were tied up in the patriarchy, the answer was obvious. The answer was oh. obvious. Man, man paid for a woman's date, period. Mm. Is what it was, but now there are so many more layers to it. You know what I mean? I've I've been on plenty of dates living in LA with guys that I'm like, you're unemployed, <laughs> and yeah. I and I'm not. Why won't you let me pay for dinner? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, I've da- I've dated every man in the San Fernando Valley who doesn't own a car, <laughs> Lauren. I don't know <laughs> every if you know that about one. me. Every single one of them, if he doesn't own a car. I've been on three dates with, her. <laughs> <laughs> which is not a good life decision but mm. it but it like adds layers to it, and so it's like as a person who um I don't always feel like I'm effectively performing my femininity, I worry about it i don't mm-hmm. I don't feel like enough of a lady sometimes I date guys that are like. <laughs> <laughs> way more feminine than i am and i'm like oh yeah. god i don't know how i feel about that and so it's like something inside me wants them to offer but something inside inside me will also just not let them pay for my dates. <laughs> mm. i think it's increasingly complicated in this modern
0: age that's interesting uh because i i feel like i've i've known that it was slightly more complicated, you know, uh, uh, not dating within the the heterosexual norm, uh, for a while. Uh, I was recently treating someone to a really nice Indian dinner and like, we both had wine. We both had like different curries. It was a full thing at like a, you know, the, the, the thing on on yelp where it's like the little the little number uh little dollar signs it was like a (gasps) three dollar sign place. i know three
1: dollar sign restaurant are
0: you rich yeah have you you been withholding from me no listen i just like to be be my sugar daddy (laughs) you be my sugar daddy I'm sorry, I'm currently possibly occupied. <sighs> it's, I know you should have hopped on this when you had a chance. <laughs>
1: Excuse me, I hopped on that shit a decade ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a decade ago we were both in college and I was shit poor like you so. <laughs> you missed out on the on the good, uh, that, good <laughs> that good good film industry money. <laughs> Uh, my thing when I was uh, when I was treating uh, this this date person, uh, I explained it as like I will have a better time if I know that you're not worrying about like how much you want to eat, uh, you know. That's very sugar
1: daddy ish. I'm not gonna lie.
0: I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I told you.
1: <laughs> that is big sugar daddy energy. Look
0: into it.
1: Sex. welcome to let's get it on film the all things sex in film and tv podcast we're your hosts kate and lauren hi kate
0: hi lauren it's been a long, long long time baby i know it's almost like we took a, a full like nine months off but uh yeah too long I've missed this. I've
1: missed you. We've talked, but
0: I've <laughs> we are you in the podcast. <laughs> I know it is. It is a very special, uh, a special occasion for us to talk dirty to each other. Oh my god! I can't wait you to know? talk dirty with you. I know, and by talk dirty, I mean I will be going into full like film theory and cinematography <laughs> and all the things that get me really hot.
1: Oh, yeah. You fucking nerd. That's I know. That's what gets you all hot and bothered is, you know, just a (laughs) mise-en-scene.
0: Film school, baby. All right. (laughs) Well, we have kept the listeners waiting for long enough. I say we just get right down to it. I, I couldn't agree more. And this is an episode we've both been
1: really looking forward to for a long time because we're both <laughs> a little nerdy. Yeah, I'm what you could call a geek. That's that's
0: fair. You're not smart enough to be a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the dead silence after that. I'm leaving that entirely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Yes. Uh, we're yes. into geeky stuff.
1: You know, we like fantasy, sci-fi. We get a little mm-hmm. fanatic mm-hmm. about the things that we like. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're here to tackle sci-fi sex this week.
0: Yes, science fiction. Oh, mm-hmm. is that what sci-fi stands for? Uh, yes. I <laughs> see. I am smart. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we are going to talk about science fiction uh, fucking in space or other planets or anything just in that weird milieu of uh, not normal (laughs) Earth-based sexual (laughs) activity, I guess.
1: (laughs) That's specifically what we're talking about. Sci-fi can be... Any number of things, but we both landed in, in like space travel sci-fi. So we're yes on a theme. We're fucking in space. I think maybe that's what we should call the episode: "Fucking in Space." Um, oh, good.
0: My tentative title was "Sci yukin So <laughs> I'm glad yeah, that we're changing that. <laughs> it's terrible.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about sci-fi, sexy, sexy sci-fi. And you know, I love what I brought this week. I've been torturing Mm -hmm. you with this movie for Mm -hmm. a whole decade now.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. We've had many a contentious conversation
1: about it. We sure have. Lauren, I brought for you this week, Star Trek, the 2009 reboot.
0: Polite golf clap ensues. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to cheer for that.
1: So uh, Star Trek is a 2009 American sci-fi action movie. It was directed by J.J. Abrams, who is also the creator of Lost, Felicity. He directed Cloverfield. Um, he's into the Trek and the Wars now, so he co-wrote and directed Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. He's basically nerd god. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's everywhere. He's got he's got his fingers in all kinds of sci-fi pies just can't keep them out of them (laughs) just just can't stop fingering those pies um (laughs) stupid (laughs) you're stupid sorry go on so star trek was written by alex kurtzman and roberto orsi and it's starring chris pine zachary quinto zoe saldana john cho and my dearly departed love anton yelchin among Mm. many other people it's a really good cast Mm -hmm. um And, of course, this is a reboot of the 1966 Star Trek The Original Series TV show. Um, Yes!
0: That that gets an applause from me. Uh Yes! uh Original Series!
1: (laughs) So, the movie follows most of the main characters from the original series, but it canonically exists on a different timeline. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's like some sci fi hand wavy black hole alternate universe <laughs> shit that this, um, that means that this can coexist with the TV series, with all the TV mm. series that are owned by CBS and still be different. And so the fans call this the Kelvin timeline. Oh, re- I didn't know. I didn't know about that, but that mm-hmm. I guess makes sense. Okay. So there are other TV shows on CBS and Paramount Plus that they canonically feed directly into the original series, their are prequels and spin-offs and stuff, and this is not, this exists on a different timeline.
0: Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. What with the uh, what's Strange New Worlds? Is, Correct. Is the new Strange one? New Worlds. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Lauren knows, but for those who might not know, Star Trek is a huge sci-fi franchise about a future in which many planets, including Earth, have joined into the United Federation of Planets to share resources, resolve conflicts, diplomatically, you're going to want to think of the UN in space. Um, mm-hmm. and Starfleet mm-hmm. is basically their military. They're called a humanitarian and peacekeeping armada. They operate mostly in space with all kinds of starships and bases that are both on and off various planets. Um, they also handle what they call first contact which is the initial meeting between mm-hmm. two alien races and they try to get everyone into the Federation so everybody's working together uh, and it's not like scary alien sci-fi shit um, but there's some mm-hmm. of that too. So I do feel that I should state I'm not a Star Trek super fan. I'm a casual fan. I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of the franchise. Lauren, you for sure know more about the original series than I do because I spent most of my time watching it like over my dad's shoulder when I was six. So I've seen a lot of it, but not for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. So really, I'm going to do my best to accurately portray the super dense content. Um, So you feel free to jump in and correct me or add things or whatever at will, please.
0: I will say, you say, I am I cannot call myself a super fan because no. I really only have the knowledge of the original series and some of next generation. And there's so much in this world that has gone on and on and on beyond that. Uh, yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. Series, movies, books, all, all kinds of stuff. Animated spinoffs, several of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. There are kids shows, adult shows, like it's everywhere. There's a lot of stuff and neither of us are super fans. So I'm going to keep it pretty, pretty high level, but I will dive into the original series just a little bit. Um, because this was a reboot of that. So the original series was really progressive. It tackled a lot of interesting Mm -hmm. philosophical themes and social issues like sexism, racism, war, authoritarianism. The show premiered right around the time the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War was escalating. It had a diverse cast of human characters, including uh, Lieutenant Ohura. Did Mm -hmm. I get it right for you this time? Uh Did I say Ohura right enough so I'm not Saying whore too hard, Lieutenant (laughs) Uhura, um, who's a great character. (laughs) Thank you. She's, um, She's a Black African character from Earth, and she's a Starfleet officer and was among the first Black women portrayed in a position of power on American television. So she's a really important character. Um, And there are also a lot of alien characters, including science officer Spock, who was half human and half Vulcan, which is a cute humanoid alien with pointy elf ears and bad haircut. Um, (laughs) Yes, always the bowl cut. Always the bowl Um, cut. Here's what's <laughs> most important about Spock, I think. He established immediately on television 56 years ago that humans and aliens were fucking in this universe and yes. had compatible body parts <laughs> because he's half human and half alien.
0: <laughs> yeah. it's. I, w- I want to jump in here and say that there's uh, a very unique trait to the Star Trek aliens, uh, especially in the original series, is that about 75% of them We're just humans uh, with some makeup or a a light prosthesis, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this, of course, was uh, on the the production side because you can't be doing a full, you know, transformative, uh, uh, you know, a full transformative makeup and like costume for every single alien species that these guys had to encounter every week. Right. And it was
1: 1966. They didn't have CGI. What they had mm-hmm. were practical effects, practical makeup, a shoestring budget for a half hour show that nobody yes. was sure was going to last. And it didn't really. What did it run? Two seasons? Three. yeah, Three, three seasons. So it didn't go for long. Um, and so, you know, what you get is what you
0: got. Um, yeah. And, and I will say one other thing uh uh that's like the the reality that's like the the behind the scenes reason for why so many uh alien species just look like people uh but they came up with an in-universe uh reason i think they actually came up with several in in in-universe reasons for why every single planet they went to looked like a part of like a california desert uh and why all the people (laughs) just seemed like humans with makeup uh and it was that the idea of like patterns repeating, that there were certain like patterns that worked and those patterns would show up over and over and over in an infinite universe. It's, it's kind of like, OK, I can kind of see some of the uh, like philosophical, like science theory things behind that. So, you know, they, they were aware of the problem, I guess is what I want to say, and tried to come up with an explanation. But we all know why. We all know.
1: We do. Yes. Um, So here's the thing. This 2009 reboot movie basically sidesteps all of the philosophical and progressive themes of the series and throws Ah. the same characters who are now played by sexier actors Mm -hmm. into a moderately well-written but kind of basic action movie. Yeah. And you know what? I love it anyway.
0: Mm. (laughs) I'm not proud, but I love it. Hmm. no yeah i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> before i dive into the scene i'm going to
1: talk about i do want to say that's what what's most special about this movie for me is that it was my college depression comfort movie and yes. parts of it really really annoy you as we've mentioned yes. on the podcast before and i just love to fucking razz you about how much <sighs> it bothers you
0: Listen, it was just that it was just specifically that J.J. Abrams had a quote that he said, like all the things he fucking hated about Star Trek, which was like, oh, I hate how it's just like. Kirk lands on a planet and is immediately like trying to make friends and like dealing with like societal shit. I, he was just like, so broy And he's like, why can't they just be like fighting cool monsters all the time and like firing guns. And I just like hated, hated him for that. Cause like, if that's the case, go make star Wars. Cause that- he did. He did. I know, I know, but he could not make it to making Star Wars, the franchise he actually wanted to work in, without coming into my house, getting into getting into my show that I enjoy and messing it up real good.
1: Yeah. So he took a show that was deep, that was philosophical, that was nice, and he he kind of turned it to trash but in a
0: way that i kind of like so yeah uh, i want i gotta defend a (laughs) a little bit a little bit i don't want to say like i hate this movie it's an enjoyable movie for for like it's it's a fun movie uh and i think zachary quinto is great uh i loved all the shit with uh leonard nimoy uh playing old spock that just was so sweet And uh, there is a lot of good stuff in there hidden behind all the lens flares and CGI.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. But it's also a product of its time. It came out 13 years ago. So here's the thing. The movie gives us basically it's an origin story for James Tiberius Kirk, who in the original series is captain of the starship Enterprise, the USS Enterprise. He's the main character of the original series. He's the main character of this movie. And so it's very focused on him. And he is played by my top-ranked Chris, Chris Pine.
0: Oh, yeah. I Uh, think everyone's favorite favorite Chris
1: right now, for sure. (laughs) Who didn't get spit on. At the Venice Film Festival,
0: <laughs> who had a great time had doing great the time. listening and, and had nothing bad to and say
1: about anything I didn't have to say
0: about it. I didn't dealing with anything else. <laughs> so not Sorry. It's just so funny to think about Chris Pine now and what he's going through and what he's dealing with. And we're gonna talk about the movie he made thirteen years ago when he was just a sexy piece of meat. Oh, so funny. Okay. I'm calming down. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Chris Pine has sort of made a name for himself in the ensuing years as America's good guy boyfriend who reads poetry and plants tomatoes. He's that guy in his real life. But in this movie, he's playing James Tiberius Kirk and showing us how he became the youngest starship captain in the history of Starfleet. So Mm -hmm. this character in all iterations he's bold he's charming he's strategic he's brave he's egotistical and he is horny mm-hmm. he's a lady killer he's a lady killer of all races and alien species always that's just that's this guy's bag it's what he's like always um yeah. but he's he's a he's a good leader he's a good captain he makes people mad he makes Uh, he makes decisions on the fly that usually end up being right but really scare people along the way so this movie picks up just before he basically gets dared to join Starfleet by an officer named Captain Pike also from the original series Um, Mm -hmm. after Pike rescues Jim from getting beaten to shit in a bar fight for you guessed it hitting on uhura and not taking no Mm -hmm. for an answer (laughs) yep so it's not good guy behavior it's not egregious but it's not cute either and Mm. he he kind of gets cornered by some other starfleet cadets who are not impressed with him and they beat the hell out of him in this bar for being a drunk asshole um that's that's where we pick up Kirk has been dared, dared by Pike, who's just like, be better, dude. Wish for more. I knew your dad. You have more in this than you. He calls him the only, the only genius level repeat offender in Iowa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, be better. Join Starfleet. You know, I don't know if you can do it, but prove me wrong is basically the idea of it. So he joins Starfleet and we pick up with him in the scene. He's now a... Starfleet cadet alongside Uhura, alongside these goons that beat him up in the bar. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he's at, he's at the Starfleet Academy. Yep. So you know the scene, but I'm gonna text it to you.
0: Ooh, I can't wait.
1: You can stop it when he dives under the bed. I'm not going to do the whole oh, okay. thing. He's there.
0: Yeah, he's there. <laughs> I mean, you didn't want me to watch him creeping on Zoe Saldana as as she as she strips.
1: <laughs> we'll get to it. All right. <laughs> so this is a really short and quick scene. It's just an injection of sex appeal into this movie that gives it kind mm. of kind of that like college frat energy. Yeah. Um, but what happens is we jump straight into the scene and it's a hookup in progress. It's a dark backlit room so what we see are the characters in silhouette. Basically Jim is stripped down to his underpants and he's on top of a lady in her bra and panties in bed. Um He's full-on hip thrusting in the air, moving up her body. Mm-hmm. He kisses her tits up to her neck and just as he gets there, there's a plane flying overhead. so I'm going to stop for a second.
0: Just as he gets there, something takes off into space.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's not his boner.
0: <laughs> his boner firmly lands on Earth.
1: <laughs> his boner firmly strapped down because this is a PG-13 movie. Ugh,
0: um, yeah.
1: So... Just as he gets there in the most earnest voice, she says, Jim, I think I love you. And he says, That is so weird.
0: (laughs) Now listen. I'm no, I'm no Lothario. I'm no Casanova, but my God, (laughs) I know that's a mistake.
1: It's a mistake. Right. And so, because this is the future and everything is voice controlled in a now angry voice, she says lights and the lights pop on to reveal that she's green. She's yeah. a lovely alien lady that he's macking on and pissing off. <laughs> she, she is, of course, very humanoid and super hot by human mm. standards. Um, for anyone out there really wanting those facts, she's an Orion woman named yes. Gala. And Orion girls or Orion slave girls are yep. basically the Star Trek equivalent of the Star Wars Slave Leia thing With yep. the sexy problematic costume That the fans love from the franchise So it's mm-hmm. um It's it's not good but it is what it is And she is obviously a Starfleet cadet As well so maybe that's a good Thing She's she's an Orion woman Making her way in the world um, Yeah But she's 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 gorgeous she's basically just a hot curvy chick painted green she's got beautiful long curly beautiful red, red hair red hair yeah mm-hmm. she's wearing super sexy lacy underwear matching bra panty set she's mm. she's fucking bangable by, by any metric this chick is bangable yep. Um, yep, yep. so the lights go on she pushes Kirk off of her they sit up and she kind of starts haranguing him she says did you just say that's so weird you don't love me too um, and he kinda, he starts trying to explain himself, but he gets saved by the bell. Basically, the bedroom door behind like a half wall, you hear it slide open. You can kind of see it through the glass. And Gayla's roommate, who we find out mm-hmm. is Cadet Uhura, mm-hmm. comes in, but she's behind the glass. Can't see them yet. So Gayla demands that Jim hide under her bed because she, quote, promised her that she'd stop bringing guys back to the room um yeah thus giving us a little more sexy information about gala's life and kind of turning the mm-hmm. tables on jim who suddenly gets a little insecure he gets a little yeah, su- he's, sullen and he goes you goes, um which is nice she, she really turns the it tables on him and then she just kind of flaps her arms at him and insists that he hide so mm-hmm. he's he's a dog and then she kind of treats him the same way so i love it i think it's funny he dives under her bed, and then she throws herself into like a not at all casual "draw me like one of your French girls" pose in this matching bra <laughs> panty set to greet her roommate, um, as you do, Lauren. Lauren, you can confirm. I used to do this all the time when we were roommates. Just lounge in my underwear for you.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, really, it calls to mind more uh, the bedroom for for our third roommate went through mine. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that Uh, it was an (laughs) l-shape and uh, it was more like every time that i like immediately like pulled my hands out from under the covers whenever whenever that person was going by and i was like oh no nothing is here (laughs) i was
1: not jacking off don't worry about it absolutely
0: not why would Um, you think that (laughs) yeah
1: so that's basically where I'm calling the scene the scene end for the sexy part it, it doesn't end there the scene goes on to have some gratuitous yeah. nudity Jim watches from under the bed while Ohura undresses from her Starfleet uniform and delivers some really obvious plot exposition um, it's yeah, stupid it's, it's, it's gratuitous like, oh it God. doesn't matter and it's just sort of a way to make it slightly more visually interesting for us to learn mm. about what the plot of the movie is actually going to take off to be <laughs>
0: yeah it it reminds me of that um uh you know there's the Bechtel test and then there's also the uh the lamp the sexy lamp uh, <laughs> uh, model of like evaluating female characters. it's if the function of a female character in a scene could be replaced by a lamp with like a sticky note of information <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not actually a character. <laughs> Or at least in the in the function of that scene,
1: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, she is right now really being a sexy lamp, yeah, and and the scene furthers kind of this
1: um, this contentious relationship that. Kirk and Ahura have. She does notice that he's down there and is like, "Gala, who's the mouth breather under your bed?" And then, yeah. there, it it injects more conflict into their relationship that um never turns sexy, which is nice, but it it you know it gives us a little something. But it's it's generally it goes on to be gratuitous. So what I'm focusing on is this hookup between Jim and Gala. Mm-hmm. So, tell me your thoughts. <laughs>
0: I mean, my, my thoughts are that it's brief. Uh, I, I think you said it perfectly. It's it's very limited by its PG-13 rating. Uh, this movie knew that it had to have broad appeal to make the big bucks. And so they certainly were not going to risk a nipple slip or, or anything actually like happening. Uh, so it's all very sedate, very controlled choreography. Uh, you know... It's a, it's a nice little 30 seconds. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a nice, it's a nice little 30 seconds, uh, with elements of comedy that I like. I like really, I think my big thing is, uh, Chris Pine showing off that he is very funny.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe this says more about me, but I'm like coming away from the scene. My, my main thought is, oh, Chris Pine's so funny and not, oh, Chris Pine's so sexy. It's, it's funny.
1: It's a good, it's a good comedic performance. The physicality of it is funny. Um, it does, it undermines Kirk a little bit, which I think is enjoyable because there are parts mm-hmm. of this movie where you're like, wow, this is trash. I can't believe they let a man have control of this. And then parts of it are like, oh, it's a little bit self aware. So it's a little yeah. bit both in this scene. It's, it was a, it was a movie that kind of came out in, in the middle of shifting tides culturally for the industry, right? So definitely you get made now. Probably not Certainly. Not. does not have elements of where we were moving to in terms of uh culture and representation yes i think it's getting there
0: right i definitely think i think that one uh, little turnaround with uh with uh Gala saying uh i'm not supposed to bring as many guys home <laughs> that's a perfect example of like we were in a shifting time i don't know i think before the character of kirk would have been like Seducing ingenues and like it would have been showing off how he's able to to cheat on all these women and like everyone thinks that that he's her boyfriend and then like three girls end up fighting over him because they're like wait he's my boyfriend <laughs> you know like that would be maybe even five years earlier that would be early two thousands uh, I think to establish the like playboy character but. The way that this is saying like, yeah, he's clearly sleeping around, you know, he's clearly like using women without being emotionally involved with them, but she's doing that too. She's also sleeping around and she's also kind of a a play girl. Wait, yes, play girl. (laughs) I guess that's just not any of the same connotations, but (laughs) you know, she's essentially the same in that, oh no, these are just two people who are also just having a lot of casual sex with people which I don't know but then that gets complicated with her being like I love you right um, and it's like maybe yeah. this
1: one was special to her or maybe she says that to all of her boy toys who knows right, right. maybe maybe the Orion culture is that of um, polyamory, right it doesn't <laughs> We don't go into it. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> but what starts with her kind of being let down and embarrassed quickly turns to him being let down and embarrassed. He gets forced to hide in his underpants. Mm-hmm. He eventually gets thrown out of the room, still in his underpants. They don't even let him get dressed. He just gets like manhandled out of the room by the ladies, and it's mm-hmm. it ends up kind of just being a shit show for everybody. So it's 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 kind of equal opportunity.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the the Orion culture. And I do want to talk about sort of like that uh, alien species first appearance, uh, because this is one of the oldest uh, races of aliens in the Star Trek uh, production timeline. The original series has a two part episode uh, called The Menagerie. The Menagerie was... uh, a retelling of the first pilot that Gene Roddenberry made, uh, which I think was the Cage, following Captain Pike. Uh, Captain Pike gets captured and put under, like, put in captivity by these aliens who just want to observe him, and he's given a mate <laughs> uh, because the aliens want to see how he does with a. Uh, Uh, another specimen even if she is not a human she is an orion slave girl you can this picture is great because you can see the patchiness of the coloring
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed i was just i was just reading a little bit about this um and they had to retry the color they were painting her several times to get it greener and greener and greener because the first couple shades were just not showing up on film
0: yeah I I do want to say I appreciate that this reboot uh made such a callback to one of the first alien species, one of these iconic images, uh, but then also <laughs> decided to revamp her from a dancing slave girl who was just there to be impregnated by the main <laughs> captain,
1: <laughs>
0: and actually gave her maybe not agency. <laughs> But well, at least, like, a,
1: agency, yeah.
0: Some sort of career aspirations, a career of like, <laughs> social life. She's yeah. doing okay. Yeah.
1: She's roommates with a main character. That's not bad. That's all yeah. I can yeah. ask
0: for. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that is a really cool uh, uh, decision uh, that that is one of the, the characters, or that's at least one of the races that they decided to include in this way. Yeah. So
1: it's fun. There's not much to it, but I do love this movie and I like the scene. So why don't we go ahead and stop and break it down? Um, Yes. Give it a stop rating. We're going to rate it one through five on soundtrack timing, authenticity, heat and production value. So, soundtrack There's like music in the scene But it's atmospheric (laughs) score It's got a little bit of like a lounge music Funk, bow chicka bow wow vibe But there's not much to it Mm. Um, It doesn't distract from anything But it does continue through the scene From when they're full on hooking up Through Jim getting kicked out of bed Thrown under it Mm. Hiding And Gaila's conversation with Ahura
0: yeah, I don't know. She picked up some
1: transmissions in the She lab, picked up right? some
0: weird transmissions. She's like, what does it mean? What could it mean? And right. then Jim is like, what? You heard this? Blah, 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 blah. And oh, right. Yeah. right. right. She's he like, comes, he she comes out to talk
1: about right. it. She picked up some
0: Klingon transmissions
1: and he's like, yes, you speak Klingon? That That's it. very interesting. Right? Yeah. So um he's he's excited at the fact by the fact that she's a linguist a cunning linguist yeah. if you will a cunning um, linguist yes so the music continues through kayla and Aurora's conversation uh about these transmissions which is funny and it's it's mm. fully because she's undressing and because yeah, yeah. he's being a peeping tom so it's supposed to be sexy that he's
0: peeping on her um or and it's just, I, I have a question do you mm-hmm. think it's meant to be that sound Is it like she put on sexy music for their rendezvous and that's why it kind of keeps playing throughout the scene? She doesn't stop it?
1: I don't know. It doesn't really seem like it. It sounds a lot like Mm. just the the score of the movie and it kind of dips a little bit while they're arguing so you can hear them argue sort of thing. Sure. So um, I don't know. It it doesn't really matter, right? Because it's not not that much of a thing. Um, I think it's just supposed to make this... Obvious plot exposition, like a little sexier, by putting Zoe Saldana in her panties and mm-hmm. we get chicka bow wow music while Kirk listens and learns, but also pervs. So
0: mm-hmm. I get like I give it a
1: three. It's fine.
0: Yeah, just fine. All right. <laughs> Thank you for your
1: input. <laughs> um, <so> t- <laughs> timing, I'll give it. Two on the timing because the scene is so short from start to Jim diving under the bed is just under thirty seconds. We don't get much out of the scene um, except we learn that Jim is a horn dog player and a hypocrite, but like in a cute way, Um,
0: (laughs) in a in a very like (laughs) two thousands acceptable way, right?
1: (laughs) Um, The kind that can be reformed, you know. That's the idea is Mm -hmm. that he's a lovable horn dog that can be reformed by the right woman. Um yeah, he's
0: got some growing to do, which mm-hmm. it makes sense. This is like one of the early scenes of the movie.
1: Absolutely. So we learn new information in this scene, but the sex part doesn't really take us on a journey. I could stand to just for the sexiness of it all watch another 30 seconds of that hookup, for sure though. Yeah. So um, I give it a 2 because it's so short. I want more of it. But, you know, looking to what actually happens in those seconds, I give the aut- authenticity a 3. Um it's pretty high for me. It feels like a real college dorm hookup. They've got this this yeah. palpable attraction. They seem pretty into it. Um Chris Pine does that slutty little hip thrust in air. Yeah. In in, you know, the only kissing that they're doing, but he, they seem very into it. They're doing standard stuff. They're kissing. They're, they would be grinding if it weren't a PG-13 mm-hmm. movie. Were, but, for, yeah. but at no point do their groins actually touch. Not at all. <laughs> They've left so much room for Jesus. <laughs> They've they <laughs> left room for Jesus. They're both wearing underwear the whole time. <sighs> Uh, she's in an underwire push-up bra, no less um, uh, it, it, It's kind of hard to tell If this is supposed to be like really early foreplay Or if they just had to play it super safe To keep that PG-13 rating But, you know, everything down to The roommate walks in and everybody has to scatter it, It's kind of authentic, right? Um so yeah. it's not it's not perfect. They're covered. They're not touching that much, but it's the sort of thing that can kind of be played off as like, oh, they just started, or oh, they were being careful because the roommate could walk in at any moment, or whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're right that this is this is very college energy. This is maybe like, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's undercut by the fact that we're it's revealed through their dialogue that they've both had a lot of sex, uh, <laughs> but they're kind of acting like. They don't really know what to do because they're not touching. <laughs> I, but yeah, I think you're, you're right. Everything about it just screams, you know, we, we were maybe walking back from the quad together and we know we only have 15 minutes. And so we're like diving into bed immediately and making out. Yeah. yeah. It's like frantic and urgent.
1: Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. It could be like, he just threw his pants off and he's climbing back on the bed. You don't know. Right. Cause we pick up mid yeah. motion. He is like mid moving up on top of her when we pick up the scene. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, but I gotta say mm-hmm. the heat on this one is really high for me. I give it a heat of four. I think, I think yeah. that shines for so little action. The scene has always felt so Sexy to me. They seem really into each yeah. other. You know, again, that little hip thrust. He, as he's kissing up her body, he kisses her on the cleavage and it's a cute little peck, right? Because PG-13, mm-hmm. but he does. Yep, he no on boobs and mm-hmm. then goes up to her neck and it's all like, oh, they're very into this for the two seconds that we get to see it.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's something about this scene that's really memorable I was just thinking there's in the sequel to this into darkness, there's like one scene where there's some sexy blonde scientist and she's doing essentially the same thing of giving Kirk information while she takes her top off. (laughs) Do you remember this? (laughs) Yep. I was thinking about it, how this scene works so much better for whatever reason than that scene, that that scene, I only remember because it like frustrated me. But not because it was hot in any way.
1: No. This one feels more balanced. And here's why I think that is. Not only do you get the, the subversion of expectations, you get Jim a little humiliated at the end, you get him shoved mm-hmm. away like a dirty little secret. But mm-hmm. because for the first few seconds, they're keeping it a secret that Gala isn't human because they're in silhouette, we see a yes. lot more of Jim and his mostly naked body than we see of Gala. So the gaze feels Very like true. it's sexualizing him more than her at first. So I, I think for me, that balances the annoying gratuitousness of the ahora thing that follows is because you can, you can just see more of Jim's body while they hook up at first.
0: Yeah. You know, I was thinking about how watching this, I might've liked it to go on a little bit, maybe even have like a shot reverse shot of like her face or her body and his face and whatever just a little bit more uh coverage or camera but you're right the reason they don't do that the reason they they keep that uh, uh concealed in this very specific side angle is because they're they're hiding the fact that she's an alien uh and then they can reveal it and be like look it's <laughs> star trek remember <laughs>
1: He's an equal opportunity lover. Don't get it twisted.
0: Except for men. <laughs> <laughs> Except for anyone who would identify as men. So far. Okay, you can't fight me on this. That was certainly the attitude in this iteration, in this timeline.
1: Uh, Yes, that's that's definitely yeah. true. Um, yeah.
0: Other Kirk's may be fucking whoever they like, but this guy is... Unfortunately, very hetero-coded.
1: Yes, it's true, and uh, we we were just talking about the queering the queering of the straight relationships and Strange New Worlds because I was just watching mm-hmm. that series. So they're doing yep. some fun stuff there, but honestly, it's network TV, and they're still keeping it pretty straight. Um, yeah, not entirely, but pretty straight. Uh, so I think I think we'll get we'll get to like a horny bisexual Kirk someday. I think, but today is not that day. <laughs>
0: That's the future. That's That's... the future we can look forward to.
1: (laughs) The future is horny. Um...
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is just the tagline for this episode. (laughs) Wait, that's what we should call the episode. (laughs) The future is horny. The future is horny. We found it. Oh my
1: God. Okay. So um, last but not least, the production value. I'll give it a three. It's like, fine. There's nothing great or terrible about it. They make um, good use of the space, which is limited because it's like a double occupancy dorm room is the idea Mm -hmm. of it. Um, And so they play with the space by, you know, bringing Ahura in and giving them enough time to still like fumble and argue and get Kirk under the bed. So there's some fun choreography and timing to it all. Um, the camera does do a nice push in from like a medium shot to a close up right at the start so as we come in it's a medium shot we can see Kirk on top of her and then we push right up close and personal on the hookup to their faces just in time for Gala mm. to declare her love um, which should be romantic and lovely but again they pull the rug out from under us so we pull right up in our faces We're like Jim I think I love you and then it's like that's weird. It's That's like, weird. Boom, air out of the sails, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's funny. They play with your expectations like that. They use the mm-hmm. camera work to do it. And then they do some quick cuts when she's demanding he get under the bed, which helps ramp up the urgency of the scenes. So they use the yes. editing effectively to do that. Um, yeah. And then obviously the gag with the lights and we're feeling that she's Orion. So the backlighting, putting them in silhouette... That kind of thing. You know, nothing about it is mind-blowing, but it all gets the job done. It's all, like, pretty classic production,
0: Hollywood editing, yes. you know. Very it's, standard, big-budget Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. You, you pointed out more in that, like, side shot uh, than I had noted, because uh, I would noted the, like, rampant, but you're right. I hadn't realized just how close they get into that intimate uh, or would-be intimate moment uh, of her saying, I love you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's you know, I, I, I understand why they have that wide shot, and then they have the back and forth to increase the urgency. Yeah, and no one could say that they skipped on any of the set design or makeup. You know, they did a great job. Lingerie. Lingerie. <laughs> <André. laughs> J.J. Abrams, what was the lingerie budget for Star Trek? <laughs> well,
1: higher than my lingerie budget, I'll tell you Yeah, that. For sure. All
0: right. I think you've rated this very well, uh, very fairly. You know, I don't think we'll ever... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's that we don't see eye to eye on this movie because we both kind of see it for what it is. I just don't uh, forgive it enough Uh, of the things that you're kind of willing to be like, it's my happy place. So I I take its flaws and I just kind of move past it. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs)
1: that's fair you know i was 17 when this movie came out and yeah this was relatively progressive for the time and it took something that i already liked and had nostalgia for because i watched it with my dad and it made it sexy just at a time when i was like yes make it Mm -hmm. sexy like everything (laughs) sexy and so i was into it and i already had a huge crush on chris pine this is where was my that from the Princess off. Diaries too? Oh, absolutely! Or what's absolutely. that one? I, that one with Lindsay Lohan and mick fly <gasps> He's in that movie too. Oh my God! Yes, mm-hmm. God, Chris
0: Pine is so talented. Um, <laughs> yeah, <Stop. laughs> he's got so much range. the no, Princess talking- Diaries too? <laughs>
1: Or high water, we're talking
0: about the princess diaries, too. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> oh, god, iconic cinema. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, and you found Spock sexy. I interrupted you, but yes, it's yes. we all find we all find Spock sexy. Some of Still us do. when he was played by Leonard Nimoy, and you know, see, we have not had our me, own issues. But other versions. Yeah. Oh man, I'm like,
1: come apply that rigorous logic right over here, Mister Spock.
0: <laughs> come and make first contact with my pussy. <laughs> oh my god, that too. Oh my god, I
1: disagree.
0: Because uh, that was the first contact is literally between humans and Vulcans in the series. True, and it's in the 2060s too. We're
1: coming I right know. Off on We're where coming was supposed up on that. We're coming up to some
0: sexy Vulcan fucking.
1: Oh my God, Uh, 40 years. We can hold on. We can hold on.
0: (laughs) Do you you think they're going to find us sexy in our 70s? They live longer than humans, so maybe they'll be like, you're only 70? (laughs) I'm such a cradle robber. (laughs) Uh, Lovely. A perfect, uh, uh, iconic entry. I think into the into the sci-fi world, very worth talking about. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear what you have, <laughs> Kate. I am so ready to tell you all about my selection this week. I shouldn't say week because it's not like we're doing this every week. <laughs> every week, we're pretending. Um, this time, I have a real classic. And, you know, when I say classic, I mean, it can't be relevant in the last, like, 40
1: years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am going to tell you all about Barbarella. Hold for applause. Hold for applause.
1: Not like (laughs) golf claps either. This is a
0: campy, sexy classic. Yes, it is. It is such a campy, sexy classic. Uh so Barbarella was released in 1968, which puts it as a contemporary to Star Trek the original series.
1: <laughs>
0: uh so this is a ridiculous and iconic uh fantasy romp with a, a sex kitten lead based off of a, a French comic strip uh, by Jean-Claude Forrest. Ooh, comic strip. Yes. Very what you think of, like, 60s alternative comics. Definitely not like the superhero things that were happening in America. Definitely, like, uh, more or less uh, uh, fetish. <laughs> <laughs> fetish. Uh, uh, exploitation uh, style. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So, I'll, I'll just give you a, a basic overview of the the main character, the titular Barbarella. <laughs> uh, so, Barbarella is a s- astronaut, space adventurer. Uh, in the far future, far beyond when humanity on earth has dealt with, you know, ugly things like war or poverty, uh, disease, you know, we're, we're done with that. We're over it. Now we're going off into the brave new universe, finding other cultures, other planets, other species, and we are fucking them. (laughs) You have to accept this whole film, this whole premise for what it is. Barbarella is, is this beautiful, sensual, sexy woman who just ends up in these situations where she just so happens to get naked and have a willing sexual partner who's immediately like, oh... You you needed help getting out of a net. I will help you in exchange if you ask, like, oh how could I ever repay you? It's immediately like, by fucking me. It's,
1: <laughs> we've all been there's there. not
0: yeah. Who hasn't been listen, trapped in a net
1: in space?
0: <laughs> who hasn't been trapped in a net in space and needed to fuck the first man they meet on that planet? Listen, it's not realistic. It's, uh, it's not, um, PC, like, uh, uh, dynamics of power or anything. It's all fantasy. It's, it's porn. It's, it's the way that you have to suspend some disbelief in porn of like, (laughs) you know, I, I really think that if, if the babysitter can't pay for the pizza, there has to be some other way for these two to resolve things. You know, oh, I you love just that it's have to take a babysitter that. and a pizza
1: delivery man, not one or the yes, other. absolutely. In your porn, it's no, both. No, together.
0: Wow. In my porn, it's both. It's, you have to have a, a level of disbelief and then just kind of accept what you're watching for what it is. <laughs> With that said, I love this movie. I love this movie. It's so ridiculous. Uh, so I'll, I'll get into some of the, the production side things. Uh, so This was produced by uh, Italian film magnate Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, who went on to do Flash Gordon and Dune uh, mm. with David Lynch uh, and over like 150 films of varying quality? <laughs> uh, but he went into this movie. He wanted Jane Fonda to star in a science fiction sex comedy. <laughs> there were a few other people who were asked. Uh, I saw Bridget Bardot and uh, Sophia Loren. Uh, but it seems like pretty early on, he was like, I want Jane Fonda in in a sexy romp. And she uh, was hot stuff, even if she was still very early in her career. And she was like, OK, sure, I'll do this movie for you. Uh, but only if my husband, uh, French director Roger Vadim, will direct.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. bit. It's um, yeah. interesting that Jane Fonda was the focus too, because at the time Brigitte Bardot and Sophia Loren were like curvy goddesses and yes. sec, like total sex pots. So for Jane Fonda, who is gorgeous but also like really athletic and petite, mm-hmm. um, for her to be the focus—that's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's. I think I saw this briefly on IMDb. It was that Sophia Loren. Uh, had just gotten pregnant, so she wasn't going to be doing a a sexy nude film. (laughs) And uh, Brigitte Bardot, uh, who I think the original Barbarella like comic version kind of used her as a model. She was like, I don't want to do sexy roles anymore. I'm a serious actress, Uh, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But yes, and actually... I genuinely love one of uh, Roger Vadim's uh, other films, which is called Blood and Roses. It's a another really erotic, sexy movie uh, that's about lesbian vampires. Oh, you love your lesbian vampires. Especially like wrapped in a 60s aesthetic. Oh, my God. (laughs) Crazy about it. Yeah, he had a quote about Barbarella that kind of applies to his whole work, which is, he says, I want to make something beautiful out of eroticism. So all his films have very hot women getting naked. That's interesting because that implies that other people don't
1: think eroticism is beautiful.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's a real conversation we could have about like how uh, eroticism is seen as more dirty and especially was at this time, like it it, rather than like something beautiful and natural and to be celebrated. You know, I think that was, that was maybe what he was pushing against. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah. He had another film. uh, I think the film where he met Jane Fonda, uh, that was just a series of people and it followed them from like unrequited love and sexual encounter to the next person's unrequited love and sexual encounter through like seven different couples until it circled back around <laughs> um, so he was really making these very sexy movies and also fucking a lot of his female stars as, as were most as, of his contemporaries as, um, as, as most male directors are wont yeah, to do the big, the big
1: perk of being a director back then was fucking your actresses
0: Absolutely. Uh, but hey, for a time, at least Jane Fonda uh, got him to put a ring on it. So there you go. Uh, one of the writers who was credited uh, later said Vadim wasn't particularly interested in the script, but he was a lot of fun with the discerning eye for the erotic, grotesque and the absurd. And Jane Fonda was super in all regards. So let me tell you some things about the movie first. Uh, I've given you an, an idea of the, the general uh, idea of this movie. Uh, the first scene <laughs> is a striptease. Uh, Jane Fonda is, or I guess I should, I should say, Jane Fonda is lying on plexiglass, but Barbarella is in zero gravity and she's stripping out of her uh, silver space suit. And Ooh. then it all like kind of fly off. And she's like twirling in space within her her uh, her like captain's quarters of her private spaceship. <laughs> and yeah. it's so beautiful. And this is happening as the credits are going. and the credits are kind of like playfully covering up her naughty bits, you know? <laughs> uh, it's so funny. And I realized that this opening scene, is an inspiration, or or was the the subject of a direct homage by Ariana Grande in really? one of her music videos? Ooh, yes, I kind of love that. It's very interesting. So in in Ariana Grande's uh, "Break Free," uh, this is that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. Not familiar, uh, but
1: thank you for doing that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in that music video uh ariana grande is also kind of like in space twirling around while she strips out of a spacesuit, you know intermixed with a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. uh but i saw that and i was like oh that's obviously taking from barbarella that's so cool <laughs> she continues to inspire to this day yes still relevant beautiful as I said, the majority of her adventures in this movie are just excuses to tear her clothes and have her, like, be saved by men that she could then repay with sex. <laughs> but the, the thing about it is that Jane Fonda is genuinely such a good actress that you really believe that this is an intelligent, competent woman, that these things just happen to be happening to her. (laughs) Like, listen, she's not stupid. She's very capable. She's like a starship captain. It's not her fault that like she crash landed on this ice planet and then was like trying to find this mad scientist and everyone along the way is like, trying to, to capture her and stop her and she's just she's just a poor little starship captain trying to fulfill her mission. So is James Kirk. I'm just saying so is James <laughs> Kirk. <laughs>
1: Just a couple yeah. of horny starship captains who just keep falling into At, sexy scenarios. Genuinely,
0: yes. <laughs> There's a lot of overlap to be found between them.
1: Oh, oh my god, um, can you imagine what would have happened <laughs> if Barbarella met James Kirk?
0: I I I think I I think the problem is that they would have like so much sex, but they also both have such an unwavering like commitment to duty to like save the galaxy that they, they would ultimately be like, I, I just can't keep having sex with you because I have to save the planet. You know what I mean?
1: Which planet?
0: Any of them. <laughs> Any planet. It doesn't matter.
1: Oh, my god. Too much sex appeal for one relationship. Okay, I get
0: it. Right, yeah. Um... So, yes, uh, the ostensible, like, plot, like, there's a MacGuffin that she's trying to find, and that is this mad scientist that has such a funny name only in retrospect. (laughs) And do you know the name of this mad scientist in Barbarella? I do not. (laughs) It is the mad scientist Duran Duran. Stop. (laughs) Stop.
1: Is that what the band is named after?
0: The band Duran Duran, writer of Hungry Like the Wolf and Rio, named themselves after this minor character in Barbarella. That's incredible.
1: I honestly have more respect for Duran Duran now. I had no idea what they were
0: named for. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious to watch this movie, and Jane Fonda is just going like, I have to find Duran Duran. (laughs) (laughs) Over and over and over. And and other people will be like... "Um, ah, you don't want to find Duran, Duran. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so, so she's trying to find this guy. Uh, and along the way, like I said, has sex with a bunch of people. Not important. Uh, yeah. But she ends up in this city of sin called Sogo, which is a portmanteau of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm telling you, there is not an ounce of subtlety in this movie. So she gets captured uh, by its, like, evil queen or whatever. Again, nothing is important. There's no real reason to care about the plot. It's just about how you get to the next sexy scene. So she gets captured, and she gets put into this torture device. (laughs) And this is the scene that I am going to show you. Can't wait. So buckle up. Buckle up, Kate, and prepare for the excessive machine.
1: Oh, you know what? I did. I've, I've actually seen this scene before. <gasps> yes, this is the one. <laughs> this is this because i the-
0: me. This is the one scene from Barbarella that I've seen. I've watched it now so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Oh, that's it. I <laughs> I cut it off in this version before he he like reveals himself and and Jane Fonda gives a very coy. <gasps> Duran, Duran! <laughs> so, you you missed the name reveal, but I had already told you. <laughs>
1: Magnificent.
0: It is, isn't it? <laughs> I love this scene so much. So, in this scene, uh, Barbarella wakes up, and she's been encased in this, like, cross between co- sarcophagus and an organ. So, there's, <laughs> the there's this... <laughs> yes, the instrument, the excessive machine is this large uh uh like plastic and vinyl clamshell thing that she's resting on uh that has these long uh like keys, long extensions of keys from where our mad scientist is pressing the the buttons and whatnot on his on his end playing orchestral music and he explains to her that this is a torture device, a method of execution where uh, he will play a song upon her body and she will be filled with so much exquisite pleasure that she will perish.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so we only see Fonda from like the clavicle up and uh, we just see her, her, God, fucking high 60s hairdo. Uh, beautiful <laughs> eyeliner and like dewy skin for the entirety of the scene. And he begins to play, and she goes, Oh, 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 that's rather nice. <laughs> and he goes, It is, isn't it? Until, and keeps playing and like is building up into this crescendo. And she's just like, Writhing and overcome with this pleasure, and at one point she starts sinking into it, and then she like pulls herself up and she's like, "Oh!" And the music and I'm gonna have a lot to talk about in soundtrack here, uh, so I might you know jump ahead and jump back from from here and there. The music is building in this like weird reverie. Uh, rev- what's it called? Uh, re- revel revelry what's it called when the bugle boy plays the song for the military?
1: Oh, Reveille, right?
0: Reveille, that's it. I think. I think so. Listen, I don't know what bugle boys get up to these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this, he's, he's playing on this, you know, uh, weird fucking organ that is encasing her body and it starts with, like, this revelry. It's, like, getting uh, more fast and, like, there's horns and it's it's like rushing towards this climax that Duran Duran is warning her will kill her, <laughs> and in the mix, there's these like kind of psychedelic dreamy tones, you know. As, as we see close ups of her face, as she's just like throwing her head back and forth and making orgasmic sounds, and we're seeing this like, fuck, it's fucking beautiful. She's so stunning. She's such a babe in this movie she's so
1: pretty and so, so much pretty. so much of the scene is focused on her just making these silly faces that are like mm-hmm. oh yes oh huh oh Ooh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm. yes it's like yeah. <laughs> it's just these, like yeah. staccato <laughs> like facial <laughs> changes that are so good she's doing a lot of work with her face
0: Well, that's thick because that's all we have because we can't see her body or anything. She's just held in place. So she's doing a lot of work with her face and it's really working. It like makes you feel a real like empathetic feeling of sensuality uh, in addition to just the visual and and auditory thing of (laughs) her like sweaty and going, "Ah!" it's really nice. Uh, But yes, so... The the climax comes, but the, the thing is, so to speak, <laughs> the, the thing is what Duran Duran doesn't know <laughs> is that Barbarella can withstand an excessive amount of pleasure. <laughs> so, so the machine starts to smoke, and you see these billows of smoke coming from the you know very practical set. Um, And you hear in the song, like, these weird boingings and, like, spring sounds and whistles uh, that signal that the machine itself is breaking down. She's clearly overpowered what is meant to be this execution device. And... The the mad scientist Duran Duran is looking around and he's like, what, what have you done? How could you do this? And he says things like, you wretched girl, you've burnt out my excessive machine. (laughs) And, uh, it's, it's very funny because she's like coming down from her orgasm, uh, you know, implied, uh, it's it's very obvious what's happening, but it's also very allegorical. Uh, so she's like coming down from this ecstasy, and he's like berating her and being like, "Have you no shame? What <laughs> kind of girl are you?" Uh, and Jane Fonda lets out one final, really funny. Oh, <laughs> she's so disappointed. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, <"Aw, laughs> I would have liked another go on that one." <laughs> <laughs> she's like oh can't you fix it she doesn't say that but that's the impl- implication of that noise but yeah it's a it's a lovely scene it's a really uh, creative inventive version of sci-fi fucking uh, I think when we were originally talking about this idea I said something like who wants to watch people having missionary in space <laughs> I kind of stand by that because part of the joy of sci-fi is like boundless imagination. And that's what this scene really has.
1: It's true. It's true. And And not only does it have boundless imagination, it forces you to use your imagination along with it because you can't really see anything. You can hear it. You can see the machine moving. You can see Jane Fonda's faces, but you have to imagine what she's feeling. So it gets you directly involved in a way that a lot of other sex scenes, when you're just like watching two moderately attractive white people have missionary sex, it doesn't really get you involved in (laughs) the same way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's so fun. Uh, I I love this because it is is just like there's no physical contact really happening that we can see or that we know of. There, there's no way to imagine like a physical representation of what the inside of that machine might look like. You know, like it's not it's not real. It's not realistic. It's not meant to be. It's just this is a thing that is feeding direct pleasure. Into her body. It's funny that you feel like you can't imagine it because the
1: whole time the scene is playing, and when the machine starts breaking down, and he's like, You've overpowered it. My whole brain is going, (laughs) Me when my vibrator runs out of batteries and I'm not done yet. (laughs) what's happening here her horn has <laughs>
0: overpowered the machine and I'm like been there yeah. been there queen we've all been there <laughs> we've all been there we've all had to make a very shameful run to see the AA batteries <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah I love I love this I love this scene uh, I love this movie uh, oh but one thing that I'll say about this movie, um, you know, every film, uh, especially with uh, a woman who's, who's doing these like nude scenes with these sex scenes, you want to be like, how comfortable were they actually performing this? Uh, and so I looked into that. And, uh, so Jane Fonda was going through an eating disorder during the time of filming. And she described herself looking back on this, as a young woman who hated her body, playing a scantily clad, sometimes naked, sexual heroine. And that that was hard uh, for her emotionally and frustrating. And that's why I especially love to pull this scene out as one of the sexiest of this whole film, because this is the scene where you don't see any of her body. You just see her acting her, her ecstasy with her whole face. And she does such a great job. And that's why she is perfect in this role. And she makes this role more than just a fucking like, you know, male gazey, you know, sex slave sort of like tropey, weird, whatever. Jane Fonda being an actually phenomenal actress is what makes this fantastic.
1: Definitely, uh, and it, it injects so much comedy into the scene. The faces that she makes, which are not always like, oh I yeah, know. that's the spot. Sometimes they're like, huh, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, they're like, she's so oh, funny. Oh, do I like it? It's like. <laughs> 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 they're like they're funny faces that communicate so much but don't say anything
0: <laughs> she is so funny in this movie uh immediately after the like striptease uh opening she gets a call on her video like screen and she has to take it like giving a salute and she's perfectly naked <laughs> and she's just so funny it, it, she's the i love her She's really, really good. You, of course, have seen her uh, much later in uh, Grace and Frankie.
1: Yes. And
0: so I know you're a big fan of, of hers in that.
1: Yeah. Jane Fonda has had a lasting career. And she's, and she's always been an interesting person who's out getting mm-hmm. arrested for protesting things like war yeah. and, um, and equal rights. And she's always been a, mm-hmm. a, a real personality and a real, a real feminist icon. Yeah. You know, even even engaging with things like uh, <laughs> movies like Barbarella, which were, you know, just a, just kind of a titty flick of its day. Right. But yeah. But and being also uh, having like a workout empire. She did um,
0: like exercise. Yes. Tapes. Workout tapes by Fonda. Mm hmm. Uh, to satisfy your anaconda <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Like why'd you say it like that it's
1: like just baby got back because I was absolutely going. quoting Sir Mix yeah, a lot yeah, yeah, <laughs> you did the whole thing uh, <laughs> uh, um,
0: yes <laughs> that joke aside I have so much admiration for her uh, yeah uh, she's fantastic nothing more need be said there well, one yeah. more thing. She did just announce she <gasps> has cancer, so I'm sending a lot of love oh, to Jane did she... Fonda. I didn't even see that. Oh, no. Sending
1: a lot of love and oh. get well get well wishes to Jane Fonda, who I think is in her 80s now.
0: Yeah. Aww. Oh, thank you, Jane Fonda, for everything you've done, and I hope you get well soon. Okay. Well, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to move on from Jane Fonda okay. House cancer. Oh, well, whatever. Edit it out. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> All right, Kate. Should we stop and talk about it?
1: I would love that. Please do. Perfect. Give this thing a rating. One through five.
0: So, soundtrack. I feel like I have to give it a five because the soundtrack in this scene is the backbone of the scene uh, whether or not it's something that you would necessarily like listen to for your own enjoyment <laughs> like no <laughs> that's not necessarily what I'm grading it on uh, but the whole focus of the scene is on this instrument and on this music that he's playing and he's producing with her body as the recipient and I think that's fascinating uh, I think it really. Tells the story throughout the scene you know the the start of that crescendo and then those little like (laughs) you know like those like weird sounds and also in looking (laughs) in looking at the credits I realized uh, so the soundtrack's credited to the Bob Crew generation and you probably don't know this but Bob Crew was the writer for like the four seasons and the Valley Boys all of these like 50s and 60s easy listening bands <laughs> and he he was bob crew was called the godfather of easy listening <laughs> <laughs> and right, so a relevant character <laughs> well i just think it's interesting that he went from like you know these like uh oh god what's a fucking rudy valley song that i could quote um uh, big girls don't cry that he, he went from these very like ooh, 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 ooh like kind of songs and then he got way more psychedelic in the late 60s and like was experimenting with all kinds of stuff and that this- to be fair <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah <laughs> true (laughs) i'm sure he was on all kinds of stuff that made his whole life a lot more psychedelic uh yeah no he he perfectly exemplified that cultural move from the 50s through the 60s uh i just thought that was interesting
1: that is interesting
0: yeah right The the whole soundtrack of this film has like these like electric guitars and these like brass sections and orchestral bits. I think it's I think it's really interesting. So, yeah, I I give it a five. We may not want to fuck to this jam, but I respect it so much. It's almost like (laughs) circusy. It's like.
1: Yeah, No, I
0: see it, though. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting piece of music. I would agree with you. It's, it's very effective for what it's doing in the scene. It escalates the tension and the urgency of the scene. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's sexy, but it is in keeping with the silly vibe of it all. It's kind of silly and it makes you laugh and the boy, like the boinging, like breaking string sounds that go along with it that all feed into the music. Um, so that it's cohesive. It's all, it's all really funny and really effective.
0: Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Uh, oh, I couldn't tell whether... I don't think he was a participant in this track. But I found another fun fact on IMDb, uh, which is that David Gilmore, the guitarist for Pink Floyd was one of the session musicians <laughs> who, uh, performed on the soundtrack. <laughs> so it's just, it's just kind of in the whole, like, this whole soundtrack is very late 60s, very smoking in your dorm type music. Oh, this isn't
1: like a, like a who's who of, of folks who made
0: cultural impact though. Right? Yeah. It's very cool that, like, all these people were in this <laughs> strange sort of, like, Italian film. Yeah. Let's see, St. time. So this scene uh, is pretty substantial. It's, you know, it's it's three to four minutes, depending on where you put the in and outs. Uh, And then it goes on beyond this because there's this is the point where uh, Barbarella realizes that the mad scientist who was torturing her for the evil queen is actually the mad scientist that she was trying to find. And she's like, ah, oh, Duran, Duran. So that's kind of this moment of revelation. You know, the plot continues, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the sex, I think this is a very good use of time. We don't really have a lot of faff in this scene. It's just we start off. We know that Barbarella's is naked in there.
1: Well, not not only that, it's not just that we know that she's naked. We see pieces of her clothing fall out of shoots on the oh, side yeah. of the machine. So we can kind of see I forgot it as to she mention that she pieces of clothing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that entirely. Yes. As he begins to play, her clothing flies out of these shoots. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And that that kind of is is enhancing the, oh, the like scandalous sort of nature of it. Uh, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and then it's it's building to this crescendo, and then we have this cool-down period where he's berating her for being so sexually liberated. <laughs> uh, it's funny, really fun. You slut, you it's, came and you didn't yeah. die? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? How dare you enjoy this? Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I love it. I could stare at Jane Fonda's... face for hours (laughs) so you know i had a good time i don't think it lingers i think it works perfectly uh i'll give it a four maybe a five yeah i think it's pretty good
1: it's pretty good yeah it's enough time that you're like oh somebody could conceivably have an orgasm in that period of time um yeah but you don't like hang around so long that you're like oh, okay we get it
0: <laughs> yeah I think with that encouragement I'm bumping it to a 5 so we're 5-5 five, five. Uh, perfect S-T-A authenticity now listen <laughs> I don't know how to rate this on authenticity because it's not real. <laughs> It's not real. It's not real. Um, I think you did a great job of equating it to uh, the vibrator dying uh, uh, analogy. Uh, But it's, I don't know. I'm going to give it a two, maybe. Yeah, I think if you use
1: your imagination to connect it to a real scenario that you've experienced, you could bump it to a two but yeah. it, you know in in practice it's crazy it's absurd it's supposed to be it's absurd. absurd it's just a big it's just a big machine it, you know it's you know there's probably an intentional joke in there being an organ giving her pleasure i'm sure mm-hmm. part of that's intentional um mm-hmm. but it is somebody kind of laying back and getting pleasured <laughs> in yeah a machine doing something that we can't see in this evil scientist's lair it's crazy it's crazy it's fun it's funny
0: yeah <laughs> you know i'm gonna follow my heart. it's a one it's a one <laughs> on authenticity i was trying to be kind but I don't, I don't need to be kind it's a one uh this is just fantasy this whole movie is just fantasy and it's not real and it doesn't have to be uh yeah but 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 heat Oh, listen, (laughs) listen, I really like this scene just because I think every scene of Jane Fonda is so sexy. They really styled her so beautifully. She's got a really like sensual aura about her with this like very doe-eyed like, I can't believe it. All these people want to have sex with me. (laughs) Uh, And it's so fun. It's just beautiful to look at, and uh I don't know. I find this really hot it this is-, is of course not saying anything about the the attractiveness of the mad scientist who is not a part of this equation as far as I'm concerned.
1: no, not really but and and you know, aside from Fonda being you know a stone cold fox which she obviously yeah. is there's something really fun about the idea of just like a machine that will get you off but you just lay back and it gets you off so hard you might yeah. die i'm like that seems yeah. fun. i like that idea a lot
0: <laughs> right it is fun it is fun to just be like <laughs> you don't do anything you can't even move <laughs> you're just supposed to lay there and take it you don't even have to undress yourself it does all the work for you (laughs) yes (laughs) it's your whole job is to just lie there be steamy and writhe i i like it a lot yeah you know i can't (laughs) i can't fault the idea behind it (laughs) yeah it's very like pillow princess but listen deep down we all want to have a moment of being that pillow princess. Right?
1: <laughs> I would like just more little than bit. a moment of it. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. At the very least, I, I like it just a little bit. Yeah, it's a five. It's a five. We can move on. <laughs> um, production. Uh, I think this movie is so fun. It's funny that uh, Dino De Laurentiis uh, kind of got a reputation for making a bunch of bad movies on the Jeep. But this movie is really fun. I don't know if it's the like distance that we have of like 60s futurism, like retro futurism, you know, that we can kind of look at these weird baubles and the fucking tubes that are coming out of the machine and we can be like, yeah, sure. (laughs) But I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's good. Uh, I was going to credit Mario Garb... I can't say this name... (laughs) Mario Gabuglia. <laughs> <laughs> He's Italian. Um, and he is the production designer uh, credited on this film. Uh, but the original comic strip creator, uh, Jean-Claude Forrest, uh, kind of got overseeing like approval. So all of this stuff was like handmade. All the sets were made, like they were in studios, uh, so everything was built. Yeah, I think it's it's really creative and interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean the sets are really where this shines in terms of the production value. It's all you know, it's all practical effects, and so mm-hmm. all the knobs and tubes and wires and and movement. It's all actually happening. So that would have taken so much work. And then on top yeah. of that, there's this like really deep like background that you see behind them, which is probably mm-hmm. just painted, right? But yeah. but it's like a big deep cave-like evil scientist layer, and it's Mm -hmm. extremely detailed, and so you know, all all of that stuff is really cool, Um, and it's something that you, like, lose out on now that everything is CGI, and everything is so... It's like everything is so detailed that it's gone flat again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they they just lose some of some of the the nice part of practical effects with this, which is like everything's silly and simple, um, and doesn't necessarily look like it would do anything in real life. But there is so much work and detail put into it all.
0: Yeah, and I I think sort of some of the benefit of these practical things is it really is very like. Uh, it, it touches upon your own sensory perception uh, and your own kind of imagination. In that, like you can kind of feel how the set would feel. Like even just looking at that that machine and like the the weird red clamshell that Jane Fond is laying in, it's like I can see that, and I'm like, oh, I know what it would feel like if I did what she does and kind of grasps herself and pulls her up. Like, it's a very real sensory empathy uh, that we don't get as much today, because try as we might, CGI is not perfect. And it doesn't fully evoke some of the things that, that old practical things did. Or, and and even when
1: it comes to the acting performances is that everything that's happening, Jane Fonda is reacting to in real time. So she can cater her performance to exactly what's happening. And what happens yeah. with CGI is that everybody's acting against a green screen, against a pole with a ball in yeah. the end, yeah. with, with dots in various places, with the director saying, okay, and now look to your left because it's going to happen. And so they're not... They're not really reacting to what's happening. They're reacting to what will be put in in post-production 18 months from now. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't It doesn't always come together the way something that's actually happening would with practical effects. So what you see is Jane Fonda's skill as an actor reacting in real time to something silly, but something that's mm-hmm. actually literally moving on top of her.
0: Yeah, it's literally moving on top of her as the machine breaks down. We see the real smoke being, you know, I'm sure filtered up through the through the set and like all of these these things. And he's like he's able to run around and be like pointing at the tubes and all of these things. Yeah, it's very immersive. Yeah, I I like it a lot. I like it so much. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be biased because I also really like the. Aesthetic and the cinematography and this whole sensibility of the the retro futurism. So I don't know. Am I being too nice to give it another five?
1: No, I think it's. I think it's good because yeah. you know there are there are things like maybe the the framing and the editing or, and the lighting that are just whatever. But you mm-hmm. know there are other things that totally make up for it, and I think those practical effects and the set design. Mm-hmm. And the acting all like really come together to make something, something beautiful aside from like, you know, okay. It's not the most interesting camera angle you've ever seen in your life, but it doesn't need sure to be.
0: Yeah. It's most of the scene is a shot reverse shot of Jane Fonda writhing. And then the guy, the guy like lo- getting more and more into his playing and his hair's flying all over and whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it does something really special. I think you're right. All right. That's a a five, a five, a one, and then a five and a five. It's pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good going, Barbarella. A true sexy sci-fi classic. Really very classic. Uh, Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk about a really lovely, campy sci-fi epic.
1: Oh my god, my pleasure. There's nothing better than when we both get to bring to the podcast something that we love and just want to geek out about.
0: Yes. And I'm glad we got to do it today. I'm so glad. I'm so pleased. I'm so happy. <sighs> what a good time we've had here, Kate.
1: <laughs> it's been so good, and I'm glad we're recording the podcast again. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, so just... Mm-hmm. To remind everybody, if you want to learn more about the podcast, read about our episodes, see the video clips of some of these scenes that we can get our hands on, you're mm-hmm. going to want to go to let'sgetitonfilm.com. We're on the socials, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get It On Film. You can check out our Fuck jams playlist. When we get new songs from these scenes, they get added to our our little uh, our little side piece, the Fuck jams playlist on Spotify. You can mm-hmm. find us wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, whatever. It helps us out a lot. If you like, if you subscribe, um, mm-hmm. and you can email us. I don't remember yeah. what our email address is. It's been too long.
0: I don't know that our email is currently active. So okay. well,
1: we could fix that probably. We right? can fix
0: that probably. Uh info at let's get it on film.com is what it should be. So yeah, drop us a line there or, or elsewhere. Uh you could even leave reviews uh on some some of these podcasting hosts. Uh like I know Apple Podcast has reviews. Definitely. Tell us what you're watching. Tell us what you think we should be watching.
1: If there's something super sexy out there that you want to hear us talk about, let us know.
0: Yeah. And uh, this is this has been lovely. Thank you for joining me. And uh, Kate, I I I have one thing to say to you. (laughs) Keep it pervy. Keep it pervy. Yay!